Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 133 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with horticulturist Leslie Harris all about the new plants and products at Mance 2023. The plant profile is on boxwood, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with garden designer and host of Better Lawns and Gardens, Teresa Watkins, who shares the last word on mulch. This episode, we're joined by horticulturist and garden podcaster Leslie Harris, who is a returning guest to the Garden DC podcast. We last had her on way back February 2022, episode 93 on pruning tips, which was a very popular episode, Leslie. So thank you for joining us again. I'm very happy to be here. It's nice to chat with you, Kathy. It's great to chat with you again. So it's been almost a year and we ran into each other this week at Mance. Um, Mm -hmm. So we should probably tell our listeners what Mance is and then we'll be talking all about uh, what went on in the crazy busy days of Mance. Like we're, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, Leslie, but I am drinking tea with uh, honey. How about you? (laughs) I, I don't think I devoted that much time to it, but I devoted enough time to get a little tired. It it was, it's overwhelming. (laughs) It is overwhelming. And before we jump into all things Mance, um, let's talk a little bit about you and what has happened since the last time we talked a year ago, any changes or developments in your professional life or anything you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah. I'm, about the time that we talked last year, I was probably about six months out of selling my business, which I'm still really glad I did. And yet I do miss it. I get, I'm get i in close contact with the woman that I sold it to, passed it off onto, and um, some former clients and stuff. And so I was just sort of, you know, life is a balance. And I'm like, wait, I am not... This is, I'm not getting this right because I'm loving doing this podcast, but I'm working too hard and I'm not, you got to walk the walk, right, Kathy, in terms mm-hmm. of regarding yourself in order to be able to talk the talk. And I was a slave to this radio show, which wasn't paying me. And it was another set of additions because I had to get it down to 24 minutes, yada, yada. So long story short, I took a little three-week break last summer to decide, do I like being a garden podcaster? And the answer is absolutely yes. And probably you can relate to the reasons why it's so fun to talk about gardening to gardeners, to meet smart gardeners and to hear what they have to say. So I saw the radio show. I was pretty sure that the guys who were listening to that radio show just weren't really clear on how to change the channel on the radio. (laughs) It's a sports channel. I'm like, yeah, it was Jeff's golf buddies. Oh, I heard you on the radio. Um, Yeah. Probably didn't know what I was saying. Anyway, um, radio show's gone. Into the Garden with Leslie is every other week, and I, I love doing it. I enjoy it. It's the right amount, plus I am tromping around my garden and, and, and having that balance right now. Life is good. So, yeah, thanks for asking, Kathy. Excellent and great to hear. And, yeah, it's so refreshing to hear somebody step back, take a reset, and say, you know, am I enjoying this? 
am I, is this actually something beneficial? Yeah. And, and part of it was I'm, I'm a capitalist and I'd like to get paid a little bit. I figured that I figured that part out. I have some lovely sponsors. Um, but one of the really clear reasons, probably why people listen to you on your, on your podcast and, and some people listen to me too, is it's like, okay, people pay money to listen to smart gardeners or authors or, you know, people who have something to say. And I get to sit on a zoom and listen for free and then present it to other listeners. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Picking the brains of the, the smartest and the brightest of us is so, you know, such a privilege. I'm going to put it that way. Plus it's fun because they're always really mm-hmm. nice people and we're talking about something we love. So it's, it's yes. a win, win, win. Yeah. And sharing the passions and being able to geek out, right, Leslie, we're like right. <laughs> such plant geeks. You're like, I can talk gardening with this person <laughs> and the other people in your life aren't going to just roll their eyes or, you know, be like, really? <laughs> yeah. They, they can find another podcast and listen to what they want to listen to. <laughs> Precisely. Definitely. So um, turning it back over to Mance. So to let our listeners know, it does rhyme with pants, (laughs) M-A-N-T-S. And it's the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. And the keyword nursery in this uh, definition is that it's the horticultural trade show for most of the East Coast and probably all the way out to Ohio. You get people coming in from all over. A lot of the growers who are the exhibitors and the wholesale plant sellers and suppliers are coming from all over the country, but I would say most of the attendees are in the drivable area um, to Baltimore. So it takes place in the Baltimore Convention Center, um, usually the second or, you know, kind of overlapping the first week of January, depending on how the first of January falls, of course. And so it's always a great winter break and reset for me to attend it and get totally immersed back in the horticultural world after the holidays. But of course, it is a trade show. It is set up for people to be taking orders and placing orders. And it's a lot of business getting done there for the year. And I'm emphasizing, Leslie, the trade show part because a lot of listeners, of course, would be like, well, I want to go to that. Yeah, yeah, but you don't. We promise that you don't. It is, it's kind of cool, but it's not, it's not that cool. It's, it's cool. It, it just is a lot of overwhelming plants that you can't actually buy yet because Mm -hmm. they might not be on the market and you can't buy them from the people who are showing them to you because they're wholesalers. So yeah, don't get all excited. Yeah, get a little excited, but yeah, we'll curate and filter it for you. It is a lot of walking on concrete floors and a lot of trying to be heard you know, over the True. din of the fans and everything else going on. So uh, hence the, the sore voice, but um, it is worth it for me. And I think for uh, many other garden media to attend, to see what is new, what's coming out, to catch up with colleagues. Um, and that's where I was going to start um, with you, Leslie, because this is your first Mance, correct, that you've attended. It absolutely is. So my history for, for your listeners, I was my first act was a high school Spanish teacher up until 2014 and a keen personal gardener. In 2014, I started this, this business, gardening business down in Charlottesville, Virginia, where my clients already had landscapers, but we were the, um, I ended up with a crew of like seven, seven ladies and the 50 clients. And so we did all the fun things in the garden. We did the annuals, perennials, containers, and uh, find hand pruning. So no mowing, no blowing, no chemicals, nothing like that. Um, 
I didn't go to Mance for two reasons. One was January, you know, as a teacher for all those years and summer was my, my, my downtime. January was my downtime. And I was like, no, I, I worked hard enough this year. I am not going. And the second one was that I felt well supplied by local, local, by local suppliers in Charlottesville or around Charlottesville with annuals, um, fertilizers, uh, you know, perennials. And, and, you know, it was small enough business at first, so it didn't make any sense. And then as I grew, it didn't make as much sense just time-wise. That being said, Abigail Gardens, Abby, the woman that I sold my business to, she was there this year. Good on her. She's hungry and she wants to find better and different suppliers. So it was a really good trip for her and she loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the people who are attending the show, uh, besides, you know, your garden center re- retailers or catalogs or mail order who might be ordering products for those would be a landscape design service um, looking for um products for their clients, or it could be somebody looking to improve their business, you know, say they're an arborist, they might be looking for a tree digging uh, equipment or something and be able to negotiate a deal there at the show. It was really cool to walk down and up and down and up the many, many aisles. And one at one point, you'd be right next to a, you know, a combustion diesel engine that was going to light up somebody's pasture. And and those things were big, shiny machines. And they could be right down the way from somebody growing tiny, tiny succulents. So it was all kinds and tools and gear and pots and chemicals. Unfortunately, I, I breezed right past those. That does not interest me. Although, you know, there's a market for that. And it was a marketing show. Mm-hmm. And there's also what always interests me is, you know, there's the things that support the businesses. So like your farm insurance or right. your uh, retail um, scanning system or labeling. I'm always like looking at those, not that I would ever, you know, cover or write about them. But I was like, oh, this would be fun uh, to have a bunch of SKUs in your garden and things labeled. <laughs> <laughs> There's that machine that prints out those plastic labels that we look mm-hmm. at and, hope, and hopefully recycle. Um, yeah. There are always too many of them. But yeah, it's like, oh, pink ones are coming through the machine right now. Okay, that's cool. But then you keep walking because you have to. And yes. it's, it's much more fun for me and I know for you to look at the plants. And there are plenty of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only uh, downside to looking at the plants, of course, it is you know, beginning of January. So things are in their tip top shape. You know, some of the growers who are coming up with tropicals from Florida, you know, for house plant sales, you know, they have gorgeous booths, you know, oh, yeah. like they look the jungle. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Those were always the ones to stop and linger by and just sort of run your hands over something that was looking prime. But yeah, some of the other ones were like, uh-huh, I've been trying, mm-hmm. you know, people tried to make me look good in January and they did a heck of a job, but it's January. Yes. Yeah. So I always say to go with that in mind, because, you know, if if a hydrangea or something is looking a little droopy or worse from where it literally came on a truck, probably up 95 or down 95 in the freezing cold. And, you know, it had a little bit of babying, but it still got stressed, really stressed. Yeah. And my first my first experience, Leslie, I was just going to say at the show was walking up and down the aisles and all the tree companies that are there, the wholesale tree growers. And I would just see booths full of, I would call them the stick booths. It would just be these <laughs> long sticks with bare root roots, you know, just these kind of, they look like little brooms almost. And I would be like, who are all these sets of sticks and what are they doing? 
<laughs> and of course they're showing the health of their plants and the roots, you know, the root systems, but it was just like brown on brown basically in those booths. So, you know, there was yeah. no foliage on a lot of them. And I think over the years, some of them, you know, you could either show it on a photo on a screen now, or you can have something potted and bring it in or something forced into leaf um, for a little bit nicer display. Yeah, there are lots of television screens that are up to say, you know, okay, this is what it looks like at this time of year or whatever, or, you know, if it's tools, this is how you work this tool or there were, yeah, there were, if you like a screen, there were screens to be, to be watched. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of that, you know, again, as we were saying is necessary demonstration because, you know, digging out a giant tree say is not going to be able to be demonstrated on the show floor very well. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to see it visually always helps in that. And so I was going to ask you, Leslie, were there any people that you met that you networked with that you were looking forward to meeting there or that you um, were looking out for to talk to? Well, first, I cannot I cannot tell a lie. The only reason I went is because um, I was talked into it by our buddy, Marianne Wilburn, because she said, hey, come. It'll be fun. You should do it. You're in this industry. You should see what goes on. And, you know, you're going to meet some people. And so, and, and I wanted, I wanted to be with her. I, I thought I might see you. I saw, who else did I? Oh, I met um, uh, that wonderful Susan Harris, who also writes for Garden Rant. Our buddy mm -hmm. Scott Berline was there. Um, and I just, I met, I met some people. I mean, it was kind of a social thing for me. And more than products, I do, you know, with the podcast, I want to be able to disseminate good information to my listeners. And so it's fun to be able to see what's coming around the bend or what's already there that I had not been aware of. Uh, but I think the most important and fun part of it for me was just the spectacle of it and a close second or maybe even first it would be the people, the people mm -hmm. watching, the people meeting uh, and the networking. And of course, we had that thing where, you know, we're, we're talking specifically, we had a really good opportunity to meet with other people in the media. Um, we got our little press patches, which was, felt so cool. My husband was extremely impressed when I got home as if I'm, you know, a podcaster is press, but we are because we're, you know, we are talking, we're talking about the industry, which is, we are disseminating the information. And, uh, and so it's nice to, to hear people's stories. So I would say that, uh, yeah, I, I really thought that the people was probably the most important part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you get to meet so many interesting people and, you know, old friends and making new contacts, as you say, and we were, there, there was a meetup for GardenCom, the Association of Garden Communicators. So we had a little side uh, meetup there to catch up with our friends and, and meet some of those new members. And also, um, I always look for some of those industry luminaries that you're like, ooh, I get to rub shoulders with Dr. Michael Durr and <laughs> Buddy Lee um, of Encore Azalea fame was there. So that's always fun to be able to take a picture with them and catch up with what they're doing too. Oh, I, you know, see, I'm so out of it that I didn't, I'd probably walk right past them. Oh, you know who I really like is um, Paul Westfall. Do you know him? He's with oh, uh, yes. Saunders yeah. Brothers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I didn't really know that he was famous, but every time I walked past him, he was holding court and I'm, I just chatted with him like, hi, Paul, blah, blah, blah. Cause he's just right down the road in Lovingston. And I use Saunders Brothers with my business a ton, not him, you know, he wasn't my agent, but, but we had talked. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, he's kind of. I guess he's kind of famous. This is cool. I know a famous person. And of course, Marianne Wilburn is a famous person, damn her. So yeah, she got some uh, <laughs> riding on her coattails was a good thing. 
<laughs> yeah, we've had both Marianne and Paul on the podcast in the past, and I can say that they are, you know, both charismatic and have a following. So definitely, I've seen in in years past. I don't know if you know Stephanie Cohen, the perennial diva. Um, I've heard of her. When she attends, and she's written, you know, literally the Bible on perennials. Um, and when she attends the show, she has this little gaggle of followers because whatever uh-huh. Stephanie says uh, to buy or grow, you buy and grow. So it's always fun to see when Stephanie is there and other influencers <laughs> like that. That's great. That's great. So let's turn our attention now to some of the new products and plants that we got to look at and hear about. Um, and so for the media, there was a very brief um new product showcase and they showed us two plants and two products so maybe leslie we'll start with your impressions of the two plants that they showed us because it's always fun to talk plants first and the first i'll bring up is private jet and that is a trademark name arborvitae and that is from bloomin easy yeah, so it looked cute. You know, he had his little probably two and a half foot plant sitting on the table. Um, but the scoop is that it jets up to maturity. What did he say? Like a third again as fast as another one? Is that what? I, I can't remember the stats on it. It's it's fast. It's a fast grower. And that is the appeal. It looked great. I mean, if you need instant, you, you know, it's funny, Kathy, so many people who are um, not in the industry Kind of, and I even forget this sometimes. Sometimes you just go for that instant gratification where the fact is that the smaller the plant that you buy, the more it's going to acclimate itself to your yard. And so it seems really tempting for that instant gratification, you know, huge tree. I need privacy from my neighbors. And yet that is probably why Private Jet is so popular. You can buy that smaller plant that will acclimate itself faster and get its roots in. And then it will take off pretty darn fast. So maybe it's that in-between thing of not having to buy the huge plant to block out the neighbors immediately. I thought it was cute. Um, I didn't. I didn't think it was. You know, it's it's not a plant that interests me. I feel like it's um, it's a useful tool in terms of privacy and probably not much else. What did you think of it? Yeah, I agree with you that it's not like it's not going to knock your socks off when you walk down the street and see it. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. Uh, the point of it was, I think, for them is one of their top sellers, I think, or not their top seller in Europe. And over there, it's branded as King of Brabant. Um, and it was a German introduction and it's Thuja Occidentalis to give the Latin name for it. Um, so I love the tagline in their little flyer here. It says, who doesn't want to own a private jet? This high octane, fast growing columnar evergreen will add the year round privacy you've been dreaming of for your outdoor space. So it tops out at 15 to 20 feet. And that's probably the in about what they say four feet wide or so. So that's uh-huh. going to need some pruning. Uh, right, Leslie? I would think so, um, just to keep it shaped as you want it to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kathy, I'm at the age now where most everything that needs pruning is, I'm about, you know, I'm not quite six feet tall. Everything's about seven feet tall because I'm mm-hmm. just getting a little tired of dragging out the ladder. So I would I would take, uh, I, I would take some pruners to that thing. I don't, I don't need a 15 foot wall. Oh, somebody yeah. in the crowd, somebody in the crowd mentioned that they were, um, the particular plant that he had brought with him it did not have a single leader. And somebody mm-hmm. commented that that put them off, that they thought that that would impact the, the strength of the plant. What, I didn't, didn't quite get that. 
Yeah, that was um, Rick, who is an arborist uh, background and teaches arborists, actually. And so with the split leaders, um, I think they were also worried about the snow load. Um, right. So if you were farther north, if, if it was pushed down uh, by the snow or one of those could snap or it could be weaker. Um, but I think in our area of the Mid-Atlantic and more south, that's not a concern. And I would right. say, you know, if it's, you know, a bestseller and doing well in Europe and Germany, I don't think that that's a big concern in that capacity. Um, yeah. I do remember somebody bringing up the dreaded four letter uh, word of deer. Yes. Um, and he said it was not uh, deer resistant in any way, but, you know, the, the mileage may vary for your garden. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's the first thing that they go for, but you might get that incredibly interesting look of What's wrong with the bottom of that plant? Oh, I see. It's a little <laughs> lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on to our next uh, plant that we were introduced to at that session, and that is Popstar, another trademark name. Um, Endless Summer Hydrangeas, latest introduction. Yeah. So that was Bailey Nurseries, and that absolutely got my attention. I thought the presenter, what was his name, Alec or Alex Bailey? Can't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But he got, he immediately got my attention because, um, because he cracked a joke, which was successful, although I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but I thought that was a good way to start his little speech. And he also said immediately, why do we need another hydrangea? And I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this guy because that's a great question. Um, but he did talk about, so Bailey Nurseries has been putting out these endless summers and he said that they don't put all of them out. They wait until there's a really, really good one. And he talked about how Popstar is a really, really good one. And it looked beautiful. Uh, it's tiny. It's it's the kind of thing. So it's a um, it's it's it looks like a serrata or a macrophylla, and it's got a nice mm -hmm. blue. Although it could go to pink if you didn't have very acid soil flower. It probably gets to what two by two, three by three maximum. Were you listening? Yeah, I've got the stats here, and it's width to 36 inches, height to 36 inches, so yep, you're right, and um, heat zone of 9, hardiness zone of 4 to 9, um, so pretty variable, and of course in our area, he said it would do best um, with a eastern exposure, not in direct, full bleeding sun. They get pouty. They get very, they get very unhappy mm -hmm. with you if you put them in afternoon sun. And even if you water them, they're like, it wasn't the water. It was the heat, dude. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you want to give them some afternoon shade, but it's almost like the kind of shrub that is a, it's a sub shrub. It's almost like, I'm going to put you in my perennial bed. I won't have to take care of you as much as I take care of some perennials and you are, or, you know, shade perennial bed. And you're just going to take up this space two by two. And maybe I'll put a group of, you know, three or four of you here and hardly, you know, you would, you would pick at it in terms of a quick prune or two and, and very early spring if something's died off, but man, I just thought it was adorable that I really like that plant. What did you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the big claim to fame for a pop star is that it's a rebloomer and that it reblooms faster and more frequently than the rest of the line so far. So once the first set of flush goes down, you just snip those off and then a new set comes and a new set comes on. Um, so um, they said it was from of some of Michael Durr's breeding work and that it was stacking the genes. I just love that phrase. So I had to write that down, Leslie. <laughs> they were yeah. stacking the genes on top of each other to get these re-blooming plants and that, you know, so that also takes care of that 
we talked about in the past pruning issue of pruning at the wrong time, because there's yes. really not a wrong time for this hydrangea. No, no, it, there absolutely isn't. If it's gotten a bit leggy or you think you might need to take something away, try to be patient in, you know, in late winter and, and wait until it's flushed out so you can really see what survived the winter and what didn't. But, but yeah, there's not a wrong time. Now tell me this, Kathy, when you first started, when Endless Summer first came out, did you grow it immediately? And if so, what did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some of the earlies early summer <laughs> introductions when they first came out and I didn't get that much reblooming to tell the truth it was kind of just hmm, it's okay so yeah. I wouldn't say I went crazy for it um the 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 ones that are from the summer crush series I love those okay. um so those do gangbusters for me and they stay nice and short like about knee height and mm-hmm. just bloom and bloom and really healthy looking beautiful foliage so very happy with summer crush and are you happy with the color of the blooms? Yeah, Summer Crush for me is a, a, just a solid, I would almost call it carnation pink. Nice. Um, very pink, pink. I'm thinking with Popstar, which is shown in all the photos here as a true blue, like blue jean blue, that mm-hmm. it's going to turn to purpley pink for me in, in my soil. Yeah, it probably would for me too. I remember all those years ago, and you know, this was back when I was a teacher, I wasn't paying much attention, but my dollars spent on gardening were... I really made some, you know, like I did not go buy every single plant and this was a big investment Endless summer. Okay, great. And I had my Nico blues that I love so much and the endless summer came and sure enough. Yeah. So this was what in the early nineties, probably um, it didn't, or maybe mid nineties, it, it did rebloom. So you got that occasional, mm-hmm. but the color of the, I found the color of the flower to be insipid for me. And maybe it was mm-hmm. where I had it, but I did have it near some Nico blues, which made me really happy. So anyway, I think it's great that they keep going with, you know, new and improved. I'm, I'm, I can hear the people say, oh my God, really? Do we need another? But I'm willing to try it and I'm excited about it. So yeah, I think, do we need another? No. Do we want another? That's cool with me. I'm excited to try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say there's always room in one more container since it is right. pretty much a container sized hydrangea and would do well in our area in a container. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited. I was um, very pleased to see that plant. And then we saw some other stuff, right? That we saw mm-hmm. plastic wall bits. What, what's your next thing? Yeah, so that's the Agro Sci Garden Wall Kit. I was, I was mm-hmm. trying to pronounce it correctly for them. So that was a green wall kit for outside. So not mm-hmm. for an interior scape for an office or anything, um, but a kind of a grid system that you would tack along a wall or a balcony or outside anywhere. But what I liked about his presentation, Leslie, is that he talked about having it on both sides of a mailbox pole or some other structure like that. And I was like, oh, that's a great way to grow up. Because, you know, the classic thing to do on a mailbox is, you know, thread some type of vine going up it. Sure. Yeah, so, so that's a good idea. And then also he said, so you could put it on a wall or you could just hang it between two posts and you could like create almost a fence on your terrace or something like that. My complaints about it were, I, th- I thought it was well-designed. He said, you know, it was a drip down irrigation system. So you didn't use tons of water. They sort of fed off of each other. Um, and then, you know, your plants aren't going to drown if you get a deluge because there were, you know, it was decent drainage. When you look at something like that that doesn't have a plant anywhere nearby, you just see black plastic. So it's you got to use your imagination. And if you can really be that successful and diligent gardener who's going to fill it up with really frothy things that hide the black plastic, I think it's excellent. 
but I don't know if I'm that gardener. Um, <laughs> I think I'd rather grow a vine and not even have the black plastic myself. So it, it, you know, I think people should have a look at it and see if it's for them. I, for instance, um, I know that my very handy brother-in-law, Tom and Kim, my sister Kim, who live in Alexandria, they wanted that look. He's handy. He constructed something itself himself. And it, it just, it didn't, it worked for a minute and then it mm-hmm. started to break down. So this looks sturdy and very user-friendly and yet it is black plastic. So get shopping <laughs> for plants. Yeah, exactly. I do like that it can be hung horizontally or vertically. So the cups yeah. can rotate and they're about, I would say it they hold about three cups of soil, it looked like. I didn't get the exact measurement of, of each of the individual cups. But when he talked about it, uh, being able to have strawberries in it and, you know, mm-hmm. some edibles, I was definitely thinking of my urban gardeners who could create a grid wall of these. And like you said, it's almost freestanding between two sets of poles or something. Um, so you could have it on a deck or a patio or, or a row house, and it would also provide you with some privacy. Um, right. Yeah, you know, your neighbor's going to look at that black plastic in the back, but you know what? You're going to have the plants in the front. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, maybe you could maybe you could do them a favor and do a few hyacinth bean vines or something to flop over the back. Who knows? <laughs> yep. Oh, and then the other product they showed us at that was Pest Wizard, um, which were basically these um, trap kits that are soaked cards, sticky cards. Um, and the one they demonstrated for us was for the invasive spotted lanternfly. So that was definitely of interest, um, to a lot of us in the room. And so they're basically sticky traps that you would hang, um, from a tree or shrub, wherever that insect was active. And they have, of course, a whole line all the way down to those tiny little fungus gnats that come in with the bananas from the grocery store, right, Leslie? Yeah, my, I call them my pets. Those are those are my, oh dear, honey, we have pets. So I'm covering up the bananas with plastic because I don't really like these pets, but that's what I call mm-hmm. them. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to be using that. If I do get an invasion of spotted lanternfly here and, you know, knock on wood right now, <laughs> We're, yeah. we haven't got hit with them yet um any little thing that can help helps um so that's great and it's just one more tool in the arsenal um they did say it has some type of attractant in it um yes not it wasn't a pheromone yeah. yeah and that was an important point that lots of us asked i was mm-hmm. mentally asking it other people raised their hand because we know that information of pheromones working so well that if you put them in your japanese beetle trap you would Possibly, I think studies have shown that you will get more Japanese beetles than you otherwise would have because you set out the trap. And she said it wasn't that. I'm still wary on a few different levels. Um, I would. She, she was she was so cute. She she calls the name of the product is Pest Wizard, and she put on a wizard cap, and she really worked hard at the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't. Um, I just don't think that I could do that sort of physical thing that is not able to discern between that bug and any other. It might, uh, it might attract the lanternfly more, but I don't understand, or it wasn't made clear to me how it wouldn't attract other beneficial bugs. And so that is not something that I would um, feel comfortable using in my yard. I'm thinking it's wonderful that she's drawing attention to the lanternfly and that all of us need to understand what this bug is it is beautiful in all stages, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, get yourself a a Google search to understand what it looks like, and then you kill it. 
you kill it with your hands, you know, hopefully not with a sprayer bottle because I don't understand how to distinguish that bug from many others. But this is a very, uh, a very bad pest and it also has not arrived down in Charlottesville, so I'm lucky. But I think when it does, I will do the physical squishy, actually, I know it's this bug that I'm killing thing. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could do the sticky thing, but you think you could? I think in some situations where, you know, it is just an inundation of them. And that's what I did see in Pennsylvania this past summer. It was just, you know, flying in your face, flying at your head, you know, just like the cicada cycle. Um, There's just hundreds of them in the air. So the majority of what's going to be on that trap is going to be them. So if you know where an infestation is active, you know, and I can see... These sticky cards are used a lot in greenhouse situations where it's more of an enclosed system and you know exactly the pest you're going after and, and that's what the chemical on that's on the card is attracting. Um, mm-hmm. Then that's a little more controlled. But yeah, like you, Leslie, I'm a little concerned that, you know, you might get some of those friendly beneficials also stuck to the card. Um, yeah. So that would be a sad thing as well. Yeah, yeah. But I can see your point. If you're like being swarmed by them and you have some adhesive with you, get it out. <laughs> and she was also saying it's an alternative to the the ugly sticky yellow tape that goes all the way around a tree um right. so it's not um touching the tree itself and it's not going to you know occlude the bark or anything like that um yes. so you don't have these big bands uh so this is just an alternative to that which is being used very widely right now in in the affected areas exactly so yeah it was a it was an interesting presentation it it didn't sell me but that's just because of the reason I outlined. And I'm really glad that people are trying to figure out a way to combat this very bad bug. Mm-hmm. And so after that, you know, we were free to explore the floor and run around the trade show and look at all the other things that are being offered. A lot of the booths will be marked with a new exhibitor. So I'll gravitate to those because I'll know that that's hopefully something new to me. Um, so what caught your eye on the show floor, Leslie? The whole darn thing. It was also new to me. And I'm bumbling around after Marianne and she's saying, you know, she's glad handing. She's the mayor. Hi, hi here. Hi there. I would say that um, there were two that got my attention. Well, okay. Let me just back up. Some of these people put out Hershey bars or other chocolates on their displays. And that Mm -hmm. got my attention um, Mm -hmm. because I was hungry. So that was, that was a thing. Um, but there were, there were two, one of them was, uh, something that Marianne found and it was called Mossify. And it was a young man who had during the pandemic, um, really fallen in love with his house plants, but was trying to figure out a way to support them. Did you visit that booth? Yeah, I've actually spoken to Mossify before, but tell me what attracted you guys to it. Well, she, you know, Marianne, so into tropical, she's written that book, um, tropical plants and how to love them. And so this was, um, you know, house plants are generally tropical. And what this guy had done was to make these bendable and very attractive jute, maybe. And you could bend these structures to make your plant happy. Uh, but they were attractive in their own right. I think they're going to be more attractive if they're covered with greenery. Anyway, he was impressive. He wore a coat and tie. There were not many coat and ties in that hall. Wouldn't you agree, Kathy? Yeah, it is definitely a casual come-as-you-are atmosphere. Yeah, and you're wearing walking shoes. And this guy was all dressed up, and he looked great. Very young man, um, very proud of his product, and he had gotten himself a lovely booth, a really good display. And since he's invented these support system poles, he's also got some other products, including, um, you know how we all grab the mister for our indoor plants, and we get a little carpal tunnel 
get a little carpal tunnel syn uh, syndrome as we're squeezing and squeezing. He had one that you could just push a button and you wave it around like, you know, Harry Potter's magic wand and it mists all over your plants without you touching anything except for the actual um, cylindrical machine. So that was cute. Um, there was one other that was really compelling. I was just kind of um, wandering around by myself and I found this, I saw this fork. And so it was a fork, it's a picture of, you know, fork that you would use to pitch hay or to dig, you know, to divide a perennial or something. Mm. Um, very, very colorful paints. But it had, uh, now picture a sort of a metal handle at the base of it near where the fork bit was and near the base of the handle. And so uh, near the base of the handle, as you would know it, you know, just like a, like a shovel handle. This had a sort of a D-shaped, maybe 10 by 10 inch thing coming off. And the guy had a fascinating story. He's an older gentleman and he had had a terrible accident with his right hand, right-handed gardener, and he wanted to understand how to keep gardening. And so the way he explained it was when you shovel with a pitchfork or you know a fork or a shovel, you are part of the tool, you're part of the mechanism. And I'm not gonna do this justice. Um, I'm hopeful that maybe in your show notes, you can link to this guy. But what he did by putting this D-ring onto the back of this fork is he created a fulcrum. So that you're, the force of lifting up what you've got at the end of your pitchfork is done by the earth and, um, and, and, and just you know gravity going from the fulcrum instead of you and your muscles and your back. And he had this fantastic display of a regular garden fork and he had put 20 pound weights on the end of it. And he said, you know, lift that up or get a feel for that. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot. And then that very same mechanism of fork with those weights on it were now attached to a fulcrum that he said, now use only two fingers, two fingers. He was from the Bronx, two fingers. <laughs> and he said, now pull that and you could do it with two fingers and it was the same amount of weight. So I just thought that was a fascinating way to solve a problem that he literally had and to be able to sell it, um, hopefully to a lot of landscapers. I just thought it was a fantastic idea. Yeah, I'm glad you stopped at that one and did that demo because I walked by that several times and it was a crowded booth, so I never got to stop back in and actually try it out myself. He was very talkative. I brought Abby, you know, from Abigail Gardens back and I said, you know, I don't know if you could use this because the D ring of it, if you're a real gardener, and that's what Abigail Gardens does, they don't, they're not removing invasives or, you know, doing tough landscaping, but the D part of it uses the earth to pry it up and therefore why wouldn't that compress the soil or mangle a perennial that's nearby? So you'd have to use it carefully. But for landscapers or people who are trying to clear their land of invasives or, um, or possibly dig bulbs into a lawn, that kind of thing, I think it would be incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I saw it, I was thinking agriculture work. I was thinking digging potatoes type of thing. Right. Um, or then, out. Yeah. How many of us have to uh, get our dahlias divided or, you know, sometimes a big honking peony ball or a hosta. So it, it could be useful. I don't think I would add one to my repertoire. I'm like, if it's that big, perhaps I'll just, just maybe get some help here. Um, but, but I can, but I can see how it would be incredibly useful to have on your truck if you were a landscaping crew. Mm -hmm. And I love so many of those products at the show that are, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, um, where somebody had an idea because they've been doing this backbreaking work over and over and over again. They're like, there must be another better way to do this. And they're the exactly. ones who came up with it. Yeah. yeah. 
So did you, when, when you wandered around, did anything really get your attention? Like, wow, that's new or that's a new idea. I haven't seen that. What did you see? Yeah. So there was, um, a couple that I saw that I was just like, oh, you know, stop you in tracks. And I'm, I'm walking at a fast clip, Leslie, I am walking. And like you, I am a sucker for those free snacks. <laughs> I will, I'll, you'll stop me with a almond joy or another treat. Um, there's a couple exhibitors, Leslie, that every year they are known for um, one always brings a barrel of apples up. Um, oh. So that's the place you go and get your apple snack. Um, there's a couple that give out Virginia peanuts. And nice. of course, they're growers from Virginia. Um, yeah. So there's always like the traditional ones and maybe somebody giving out some popcorn or something else like that. So, yeah, you can snack your way through the hall um, as well. <laughs> so another uh, fun thing to keep you going while you're going up and down those big aisles. But um, one that uh, the couple that I stopped at is a product called Vol King. Um, like king and queen and their tagline is protect your roots Um, and so i give a lot of talks on dealing with garden pests um, specifically mammal pests not insect pests so talking about deer and rabbits and i really didn't have that much of a solution for voles you know there's a couple non-humane ways to deal with voles um, and then so i was like what's a more humane way to deal with voles so we talk about planting your bulbs or something in a hardware cloth cage. Um, so this couple has taken it kind of a step further and created um, this kind of wire mesh um, cages that are already pre-done for you. And, they, and they're so lightweight and they fold flat and they're more dense um, than hardware cloth. Hardware cloth is what, maybe like a centimeter by centimeter openings? Yeah, yeah Something like that. Much smaller, of course, than chicken wire. But mm-hmm. hardware cloth is difficult to work with. You have to wear leather gloves, you know, when you cut it and bend it, it's frustrating. You know, it takes a good bit of hand strength. Um, Mm -hmm. So what they've done is they've already done these for you. And so what they're intended to do is, and I'm holding the package right now, if you hear it rattling a little bit. (laughs) um, So you, you would take one of these little one gallon sized kind of buckets of this metal mesh and you would plant your new shrub or tree directly into it in the hole Um, and this would prevent the voles from coming and eating those tender roots and you would Mm -hmm. walk by one day and then all of a sudden your azalea is laying on the ground right and you're like why are there no roots on this plant (laughs) but because it's a wire mesh the roots just can grow straight through it so they had a really nice um, set of demonstration plants where you see the plant has grown the roots through it um, and you see all around it Um, and then they're also showing planting bulbs that way and then they also have a gopher specific product for gopher prevention um, which was interesting as well because that could work as well for groundhogs in our area yeah so you got some of those things and you showed them to me. I thought they were a really good idea. What do you intend to use them on? Any specific plant? So for me, I might do it around some of the edibles in my garden. Um, some of the bulbs that are more vulnerable to, you know, some rodents trying to eat it. So I might do a couple of demos like that. Um, luckily, again, knock on wood, right, Leslie, that I am not having a groundhog coming into my yard and digging up things too much. Um, and voles aren't as 
big of a problem in our area as they are in more northern areas where there's snow coverage in the winter yeah. and kind of insulates them, right? And then they could do their damage when you're not even seeing them. Um, so I'll definitely be passing the word on about that to um, people that attend my talks and, and are asking about how to deal with voles specifically. Okay, well, that's a great idea. Now, I can't remember if I asked you at the time, but what would you think about people who have trouble planting tulip bulbs? Would that be, would, would that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that would be, you could, you can close the cage over the top. Like okay. it's just a little mesh basket. So you could just kind of bend it over. So if you're worried about people, not people, why would people do it? Critters <laughs> coming <laughs> and digging up your tulip bulbs and eating them like squirrels, like chipmunks. Um, then you could even do the, the kind of sleeve that they had sideways. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, you can certainly do it that way. And it's definitely more malleable and easier to work with. And they had like tube that you could buy that's like in six feet or more lengths and you could just wow. cut the tube to size. So I was looking at that thinking in particular for tulip bulb plantings where you do a trench and yes. you could just line the trench or put the tulips in the middle of that tubing um, and then just backfill in with the soil. So I was like, oh, that's so much easier than trying to cut up chicken wire and bend it in and, and then- Or buying those cages, you know, the, mm -hmm. some, some nurseries offer those cages and they're bloody expensive. I'm sure that this is an inexpensive, but it looked a lot easier to handle and like about how much would you pay for something like that? Do you remember? Yeah, I don't, they didn't say a retail price for it, but the retail packaging is for four of these. Um, and the website is volking.com. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely they did note that it was less expensive, you know, okay. um, yeah. than those, those cages that you would be buying and, you know, a little bit more right sized for the home gardener. And tell me this now, I think of tulip foliage as being kind of fat. Would it fit through that, that grid? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he was demonstrating because even tree trunks are coming up through them. So oh, because cool. it's bendy, you know, like in each individual wire is bendy, uh, uh, it does make space for it. So okay. I guess if you Neat. were concerned, you could probably, you know, give it a little notch around it. But I don't think that's an issue because, okay. Leslie, I don't know if you've ever been in your garden in like the early spring when daffodil foliage is poking its way up through the leaves. I mean, literally just chopping the middle of the leaf. Have you ever seen yeah. that? Yeah, no, it's so cool. And then sometimes yeah. it, sometimes the leaf wins and it's a little mm -hmm. bit pinched. And But sometimes, a lot of times the leaf does not win. So yeah. that foliage wins, yeah. It's just, like, it just like, how does the force of nature shove one leaf through another leaf? It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so I was like, cool. if, if they could do that, they can get through this little metal, the mesh, I'm sure, and, fi and find their hole in there rather than yeah. shove themselves through a magnolia leaf <laughs> or something. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, so one of the new exhibitors that I saw um, right coming in, the, one of the first ones I visited is called Flower Lawn. Um, oh yeah, Flawn, right? Yes, Flawn. So they were F L A W N Flawn uh -huh. seed kits, and because I have the new book coming out on ground covers, I was like, "Ooh, what are you doing here?" So they are putting together seed cartons and packs for flowering lawns. So specifically, micro clovers, creeping thyme, um, and crimson clovers. 
And so they have small sized, you know, just for if you want to do a little patch um, up to larger size, but they are for the home consumer. Um, and I love that they have directions and establishment and they're like one of this one is for covering a thousand square feet. This one is for 15,000 square feet. So it's all pre-measured and, and done for you. Um, so I thought that was really great. And it's a brand new product. Did you find out their background where they had they been in the industry in some other part of it before and they just cook this up or are these new, no. newbies totally totally so i think they're totally newbies um yeah. and it's flan seed kits and the website is floweringlawn.com i uh, like flowering lawn flan mm-hmm. makes sense if you have to be quick but it does sound like some sort of i don't know fish you're going to put on the barbecue i don't know <laughs> yes I don't, yeah it could it uh, flan could be misheard you might think yeah. it's you know a spanish dessert uh, yes so. <laughs> That's true. So you might get a little confused on that one. I think they should go with Flowering Lawn as well. I totally agree with you on that, Leslie. Yeah, yeah. It's a great product, though. I think it's a great idea. Hmm. And then I came across this um, gentleman at Total Worms. So I had to stop because I loved his logo. And he has, had a new exhibitor sticker. And it's making your garden grow. And he's talking about earthworm castings and organic material, composted leaves, uh, all with uh, worm organic matter in it. So he's selling bags of it and it, as an additive. Um, so it's pure earthworm castings. And I think he was out of Lancaster County, PA. So I always like to see, you know, the local businesses and the locals um, exhibiting that. Uh-huh. And speaking of local... Uh, the U.S. National Arboretum at their booth always has a new introduction to share from their collection that will be open to the U.S. market. And did you stop by their booth, Leslie? I did not. I did not. I clearly, I, I was really only looking for Reese cups. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Arboretum put out some Reese's cups for Leslie next year. Um, so they have a, a pair of introductions of Tsuga. Um, and one of them is called Traveler, and nice. it's Suga Chinensis crossed with Carolini, Carolininia. I'm not even saying the, the Latin correctly. Oh, yeah, Car- uh-huh. And then the other is Crossroad. So Traveler and Crossroad pair from a series, um, 2020 and 2022 introductions. Um, so they are basically fast-growing sugas, evergreens for your garden, different shapes and sizes. Um, and they're really bullish on both of these new introductions. They're really excited about those. And if you're in the D.C. area, you can go to the Arboretum and see the actual plants that these were developed from. You can go and see the actual ones in situ and what it would look like in your garden, you know, the full size plant, you know, because as Leslie noted before with private jet, you know, we saw a little, what, two foot tall guy maybe in, yeah in their booth maybe um and we can kind of picture what it's going to look like eventually at full size in our garden but you know if you get to see the actual plant that's been trialed and how it's been treated at the arboretum that's that's even more fun tell me this now how you know you, you see these new plants and they wouldn't be available to the general public for a while do you get did mm-hmm. you get a timeline on either of those two plants yeah so both of these are already going to be available for nurseries um in 2023 so oh. most of the things that we'll say um in garden centers 2023 or 2022 or that they've put them out in fall they're shipping them to their growers who will grow them on and should be available for trade. Of course, the first few years, it's usually limited um, in numbers and availability. 
Um, I think when we were talking about pop star though, and private yeah. jet, I almost call it private King, private jet. <laughs> <laughs> I think for those, the, they are huge rollouts and they are ready to go like others. Cool. It would be like a new product or plant that we talk about. It's maybe going to be a few years before you see it at every garden center or it'll be sold out pretty quickly. But I think those two in particular, you're going to see them everywhere. You're not going to have any hands on that pop star. I am very excited about that. Yay. All right. And then maybe one final one. This might have been one that Marianne might have dragged you to, Leslie, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because it is a houseplant product and tropical plant product is called We the Wild Plant Care. Is the name of the company and they are from australia um and what made me stop at their booth is i was walking by and i saw these spray bottles and this nice little graphic on there and i was like whatever spray bottles you know another chemical right mm-hmm. um and then i saw gloves kind of like felty uh chenille type gloves and it said mm-hmm. ha- uh plant cleaning gloves oh I think I did see this. Yeah, but I didn't, but I, but I sort of, went, ah, I don't get that. And I moved on. So tell it. Yeah. So then I was like, well, I like gloves. I want to see what is a plant cleaning glove. So what is meant to be doing is you buy the spray um, and the spray is a plant cleaner and it also gives foliar nourishment and you use the gloves to wipe it on the leaves of the tropical foliage. Um, so I was asking them about, you know, what rate how much you would do this you're not going to do this every day you're not going around petting your plants and cleaning them every day (laughs) she said maybe every two weeks maybe once a month type of thing and that it's a huge hit in australia apparently so they're bringing it over to the u.s market i think she said it's been about four years in australia um so it's organic ingredients 100 percent organic made by really? earthworms um nice. up to three billion microorganisms in every teaspoon which is you know wow. kind of crazy um simple to use you know it's limited in amount and there's different formulas um some of them have a neem oil protector in it there's a powder and a concentrate so that once you get the spray bottle you don't have to buy more plastic right so that's mm-hmm. at least good yeah. um but it's for plant care and leaf cleaning. Um, and of course, you don't have to buy the leaf cleaning gloves. You could use any soft, nice cloth to do that as well. But I just thought they were cute. So, yeah, they had, were they bright colors? Is that what I'm remembering? Yeah, these were like a actually a dark green with a little brass snap at the wrist. Oh, so. I might be thinking of, uh, I get, you know, I have all these grandchildren now, so I get attracted to grandchildren thing. I'm thinking of a display that had all these like little tiny gardening gloves and hose and stuff, and they were all bright. Oh, colors. yeah. Those are always good too. Kathy, yeah. I feel like I was, I feel like because of you, I was at Mance for like another six hours without having to eat chocolate and walk around. <laughs> so thanks for filling me up. No. My, my standards were, my expectations were, such that I think I know what this is going to be like because my sister, who always went to the Javits Center for stationery, just sort mm-hmm. of painted this mental picture of just like every station, every gift, every, you know, just everything. So mm-hmm. I sort of had it in my head what it was going to be like, and it was pretty accurate, but I didn't, my goals were not like, I have to see this, I have to do that. I was just sort of tagging around after Marianne, eating chocolate, and then listening to you has taught me a whole lot more too. So I appreciate it. 
Well, thank you, Leslie. And yeah, I think I go with a list of these are people I want to see who I know in the past and I want to know what's up with them or catch up or find out some new products like the new Brenda Bella Rose or uh, something new from Proven Winners Color Choice line. I'm definitely going to stop by those booth. I, you know, you have my regulars that I visit. But then again, I'm like looking for those new things, all the new stuff, what's new on the market or a new company to our um, region. And then it, you, it was funny that you mentioned that Javits um, stationary market, because there is a little bit of that at Mance in that there's wholesalers who are bringing in products that you would see at a garden center, like yes. those fun little gift items. And oh man, Leslie, some of those pottery booths and things oh. where they're importing some gorgeous pottery or gift items for gardeners. You're like, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and then I told my friend uh, coming back from Mance, who's not in the industry, I said, once you see the wholesale prices of things, it's, so hard. it's yeah. so hard to pay retail, but you know, I, I do want everybody, of course, to support their, their local retailers. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Those pots were like some of them, you'd walk by a booth and you're like, okay, that's not me. Uh, it's getting my attention very bright and, and, you know, gnomes and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but then some other ones, oh, there was this one vendor from the Annapolis area and he doesn't have a physical store. Oh shoot. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, anyway, the, it's, this is not for the normal consumer. So if you're interested in this, you should just Google European stone troughs that he's imported a guy named Pierre. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't want to even look at prices. I didn't want to think about prices, but they were things of beauty. And he had one or two sitting right there in that. And it's like, well, he said, you know, before metal, this is how people used to have to make the troughs for their, for their livestock. And so they, uh, they, you know, maintain themselves over the centuries because what's to break them apart. And, and now I'm selling them. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. And those are like the, the unique things that you're not going to mm -hmm. find anywhere else that, you yes. know, your local garden center could order one or two of those from Pierre mm -hmm. and have maybe. them imported. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> and have just an antique for a display. Um, but yeah, that's something also that maybe a landscape designer or architect would order for their customer. Um, right. and the spoke sort of item. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Those type of things that artists made. So there are some like sculptors and art available of course as well or you can have some things customized and speaking of customized there you could customize almost any plant pot or labeling that you wanted with your logos or colors as well yeah oh there was a did you see the um sport sporticulture the sporticulture oh yes <laughs> yes i love sporticulture because so sport and horticulture together so he had the brilliant idea one year of selling mums in the the colors of the ravens and the at that time the redskins and now the commanders um yeah. and it's kind of expanded from there he's just branded it sporticulture and you know your local team your high school your college whoever can have customized colors yeah for a container it was it was very cheerful i mean it wasn't it's, it wasn't the kind of booth where I need to see this. I need to really look at this. It was like, oh, I get it. That's adorable. Keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of that, Leslie, as that's a, one of those many entry points into gardening that is out mm -hmm. there. So yeah. it could be a high school football fan and they're like, I have to grow um, purple and gold or whatever it is. And so then they go out and buy these sporticulture and then they're like, wait a minute, there are other purple and gold plants I can <laughs> add to my garden. So they can go out and add some more. So that was Gate. just one way we can get you in there. Gateway drug. Exactly. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Any um, final thoughts or impressions of Mance? I just said I would go back again, and I think I wouldn't need to – I don't think I'd need to spend more time, especially if I can mm-hmm. listen to a podcast like this afterwards and, and find out what I missed. Um, I liked it. I People who are listening to you who are in the industry, I'm sure, you know, have been and they know more about it. Anybody who's new or thinking about getting into the industry, absolutely it would be worth your time because of the connections that you make and the new things that you see and the uh, sporadic uh, opportunity for chocolate. So yes, all, all good. <laughs> and yeah, and you do make, bring up a good point in addition to the chocolate, Leslie. Uh, I think a lot of hiring and um, networking goes on that way as well. Like who's, yeah. who's got an opening here, who's that? So yeah, if you are a horticultural student or looking to transition to the industry, I would recommend coming to the show for a day or so and checking it out. And they say that business cards are passe. They are not at this event. Mm-hmm. You, you bring your bring your business cards. Bring stacks of cards. They do have a uh, have QR codes on your badges that they can scan in. But True. definitely, definitely bring business cards and be ready to collect a bunch of business cards and follow up on those afterwards. Exactly. I have a stack waiting for me to, and I labeled them to say this was this, this was this guy. I talked to him about this. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so I'm gonna follow up. Nice. Yeah. Organization is the key there. Cause yeah, mm-hmm. five years from now you'll be like, and this card came from where? Yeah, who, was, <laughs> who was this person? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Leslie, for sharing your first Mance experience and some of your thoughts on the products and plants we saw there. Uh, how can our listeners uh, catch up with you or listen to your podcast? Well, I am into the garden with Leslie and it's available on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And my, um, my website is lhgardens.com. I send out a very sporadic newsletter. I've got to get on that. Um, but mostly I just like to talk about gardening. Oh, and on Instagram, I like to be on Instagram and that is Leslie Harris LH. Kathy, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed just not only reviewing it, but actually getting a lot more information from you. This was great. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Boxwood plant profile. Boxwood, Buxus species, is an evergreen shrub that has been grown ornamentally for thousands of years. It is used in the landscape as an edging, in containers, in mass groupings, and as a single specimen plant. Boxwood can be fast growing or slow. They also come in many different shapes from upright and columnar to round and full. There are varieties that have longer leaves, variegated foliage, and even miniature ones. Avoid English boxwood, Buxus sempervirens, if your nose objects to the strong boxwood scent. The other boxwood species are fairly scent-free. The best time to plant boxwood is in the early spring or early fall. It prefers a neutral soil pH between 6.5 and 7.0. After planting, make sure to water the shrubs consistently 
However, box would hate soggy roots, so don't plant them in wet areas or near downspouts. Don't plant boxwood too close to your home's foundation or right next to sidewalk and driveway edges either. They will need room to spread and grow. They also have shallow root systems and do not like anything planted underneath them. It is best to mulch lightly and never use stone or marble chips around them. Boxwood is fairly deer resistant, but has some disease and insect pressures. For a healthier planting, choose a boxwood variety from the newer blight-resistant introductions. You will need to also periodically thin the plant's interior growth to assure good air circulation and sunlight gets inside. You can see extensive boxwood collections at public gardens in the Mid-Atlantic region, such as the National Boxwood Collection at the U.S. National Arboretum and the over 160 boxwood cultivars on display at the Virginia State Arboretum at Blandy. You can find out more about boxwood at the American Boxwood Society's website, boxwoodsociety.org. Boxwood, you can grow that. What's new this week? Well, my little snowdrops are starting to bloom. I've also seen some pink color on my small heather shrubs on either side of my back door. In the local gardening world, some upcoming events include a few at the U.S. National Arboretum. So save the dates for the LAR Native Plant Symposium and Native Plant Sale on Saturday, March 25th. That same date is spring into school gardening for those interested in starting a school garden, and that's hosted in the Washington Youth Garden. And then on Saturday, April 29th, is the Friends of the National Arboretum Garden Fair and Plant Sale. So definitely hope to see you at one or more of those. Um, coming up on Friday, February 3rd from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. is the Today's Horticulture Symposium at Longwood Gardens, and that features leaders in the field of conservation, ornamental horticulture, and more guiding attendees through this day-long conference hosted by the Professional Gardener Alumni Association, PGAA. It's designed for horticultural professionals, landscape designers, and passionate gardeners and horticultural students. You can find out more information and register for that at longwoodgardens.org backslash today's horticulture. And there is a series of workshops being held at Homestead Gardens in Davidsonville, Maryland, um, and they are all based on the Pursuit of Houseplants is the series name. You can find out the details on that at homesteadgardens.com under upcoming events. Uh, they have one on proper propagation, one on make your own mounted fern, make your own kokodama, etc. And all of those look like great fun to do in the middle of winter time. Happy gardening!
In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at Amazon.com or Bookshop.org. Get low-maintenance alternatives to lawns with Ground Cover Revolution by Kathy Jens. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in homeownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional turf grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now they're looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of the perfect lawn, knowing how and when to replace your turf, and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need and some you didn't even know you needed. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants and an incredibly useful chart giving you all the specifics on each of those choices for a quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea what a beautiful lawn should be. Available February 7th, 2023 and you can pre-order it now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. The last word from garden designer and host of Better Lawns and Gardens, Teresa Watkins. Usually, the last item to do in a landscape installation is the mulch. It's an important aspect for water conservation, but it's also the aesthetic framework to your landscape picture. Your landscape should look finished, but you shouldn't notice the mulch. Here's a little tip. If the mulch is the most colorful item in your landscape, you need to rethink your landscape design. You want to use mulch, but it shouldn't be the highlight of your yard. And that's the last word from garden designer and host of Better Lawns and Gardens, Teresa Watkins. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash gardendc slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.